We'll just say I'm, I, I, I. You're I, making me nervous that I'm gonna like ask you a question, and you're gonna hate I pro- it. I promise I won't punch and you. And then it's gonna suck, and then you're gonna walk out. Uh, yeah, the, those things aren't gonna happen. You're listening to Lead Him to Life, where it's our prerogative to explore what it means to be authentically human and fully alive. We have far more questions than answers, but believe that extraordinary answers can be found in the ordinariness of a journey. I'm your host, Emily Leadham. Hello, friends, and welcome to Lead Him to Life. I am super pumped to be sitting down with Father Scott Trainer this afternoon. Father Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Emily. It's great to be with you. Okay, tell us a, a few fun facts about you, a little bit about you to get us started. Well, I was born and raised in uh, the Twin Cities. In, I grew up in Egan, which is a suburb of the Twin Cities there. And I'm the third adopted child of John and Donna Trainer. So my brother and sister are also adopted. None of us are blood relatives to each other. Uh, grew up, went to college at Iowa State University. Uh, that's when I awoke to uh, a sense of call to priesthood during a year of mission work and uh, entered seminary in 1994 for the Diocese of Sioux Falls. And you went right through seminary and were ordained, right? Orda- yep. Ordained in 2000 and been a priest for 20 years this June. Okay. And tell us a little bit about your priesthood journey because you've done a lot <laughs> of different stuff. <laughs> You've that been a is bit true. All over the place. That is true. A little bit Most of Most recently, working with Emily Leadham. Look at that. <laughs> that's right. I can't keep a job. That's it. that's what it is. Uh, yeah. So I was ordained in 2000. I was at our cathedral for two years. Yeah. Here in our beautiful St. Joseph Cathedral. And after that, I went up to Brookings. I was the director of the Newman Center at SDSU and pastor of St. Paul Parish in White. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Bishop Carlson wanted to start making use of uh, St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver. And there, instead of having all the guys live in the seminary together, they have them divided up into parish houses with their priest, who's their formator, as the house father. So Bishop Carlson really liked that model, and he sent me out to be the house father, and he sent like nine of our seminarians out there, uh, and then promptly got transferred to the Diocese of Saginaw. <laughs> so I was always hoping he left a note somewhere in the chancery, like, oh, Father Trainer's on loan out in Denver. Yeah, no kidding. Bring him back someday. No kidding. Uh, so I was there for three years, and then uh, Bishop Swain called me home. Uh, I was pastor in Beersford and Centerville for a year before going on to USD, where I was the Newman chaplain and pastor of um, the parish in Wakanda. And that, uh, I was there for five years. Okay. Amazing years, uh, great years. And then unexpectedly got called back to Denver. Seriously? To, mm-hmm. Okay, you were more all over the place than I even thought you were when I asked this question. <laughs> Yep. After my five years at USD, uh, Archbishop Aquila approached Bishop Swain and asked him if he'd release me to to run the seminary, to be the rector of the seminary, uh, which I did for four years before coming back. And I've spent the last three years as uh, pastor of St. Benedict Parish in Yankton. Is moving moving hard for you? Uh, It's getting harder as I get older. Because you collect more stuff. No, because you're no. less springy. Not that not, not yes. that I'm saying you're less springy. I'm Makes just wondering sense. if that's what you're feeling. <laughs> no, it's, it's like traveling. Uh, I used to be able to you know travel or yeah. pick up and move and just you know keep on going. And I just know as I'm getting older, I'm 48 now, and uh, yeah, to pick up and move while I'm starting a new set of responsibilities and the new assignment. You know, every yeah. parish is different from each other, wonderfully different yeah. from each other. Uh, it just takes a little longer to mm-hmm. adjust. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Father, you have. Um, 
worked and accompanied worked with and accompanied so many people at varying stages uh, particularly men in your in your seminary work but also a lot of couples in your parish in your parishes and at your time at Newman centers and mm-hmm. so one of the things that I really want to focus on our conversation today is spouses and you had made a comment earlier that one of your favorite topics is to discuss is healing between spouses. Why? Where does that come from? Well, you know, marriage is an amazing vocation, right? Think of the marriage vows. I'm going to love you and honor you in good times and in bad, in sickness and health, for richer, for poorer, all the days of our life. So what is love? Love is a choice and a commitment Mm -hmm. that responds to the goodness, truth, and beauty I see in my beloved. And I say, I am going to dedicate all the energies of my existence to serve the goodness, truth, and beauty I see in you so that that goodness, truth, and beauty can come to its completion. Okay, that's what love is. That's what Christian love is. And to make a vow before God that I'm going to do that in good times and bad, in sickness and health, for richer, for poorer, all the days of my life, that is a radical commitment, Yeah. right? And lo and behold, it turns out that no married person married a perfect person. Except for Matt Leadham, who married Emily. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's so true. Can, can we get Matt on the line? Yeah, can we can get we Matt go- on the line? Phone a friend. <laughs> right. So none of us married uh, perfect people. Right. And the truth is we are made by love. God is love. And we're made by love. We're in God's image and likeness. And we're made for love. And just like your cell phone is made to not be underwater, when it's thrown underwater, it does damage to the phone. So when... Husbands and wives, doing the best they can to love each other every day, fall short in doing that. It causes some hurt and pain in their spouse. You know, sin wounds the person against whom we sin. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so that raises a question. Uh, The natural thing to do when someone has hurt me, knowingly or unknowingly, is to kind of uh, start to guard myself and to protect myself from getting hurt again. So Mm -hmm. when we're hurt, there's pain. And so naturally, there's fear that comes from experiencing more pain. And we become we can easily become kind of guarded where I'm going to try to do what I can to minimize any future pain. And there are particular ways that men and women do that uh, in marriage that hinders their growing and deepening union as husband and wife and robs them of the joy and blessing that God wants to give them in the day-to-day living out of their married life. So how to... Uh, take that reality because that's going to happen. Yep. It happens in every day in every marriage. Mm-hmm. But to know how I can go to God, to allow the love of God to take care of me in the place where um, I'm hurt because I haven't been loved the way I was made to be loved uh, is a really essential skill for happy and fruitful marriages. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So we're going to get to that skill. But before we do, can you, you said we all have men and women have ways in which they respond to these things. If you could boil it down, what do you think is the temptation for man? And what do you think is the temptation for woman when they feel either rejection or fear or forgotten or in, in their spousal relationship? I mean, I'm sure it's nuanced right. for the person, but is there kind of a root, a root thing for men and women? I think there is. Um, So if, um, you know, love is a matter of giving and receiving, right? And St. John Paul II in his teachings on the theology of the body help us to understand from his beautiful understanding of uh, 
the story of creation of man and woman in Genesis, that in the masculine genius, there is a priority of donation, of making a gift of myself that's stamped into the very body of the man. Yeah. And in the feminine genius, there is a priority of receptivity. Right? You use that word priority. What yeah. does that mean? It means it's it's what's prominent, but not exclusive, it's, right? That's really important. Yep. So yeah, both, really, yeah. both men and women give and receive the gift of themselves in love, for sure. Um, but there's a priority of donation in the masculine genius and a priority of don- of receptivity in the feminine genius. So when day-to-day and regular married life uh, spouses are hurting each other. And these hurts can be, you know, on a whole range, right? Yeah. From like a little paper cut, a little scratch that yeah. I don't even notice, right? Yeah. To like a amputation, like serious <laughs> wound yeah, that absolutely. really, absolutely. Right, you know, and married people know what that's like. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I have experienced over 20 years of priesthood is noticing some um, typical, not exclusive, but typical reactions in men and women. And uh, for men, I think they can respond when when their when their wife has ignored or misconstrued or overlooked or thrown back in their faith their effort to love their wife, right? And they're hurt by that. That they can respond with anger and with passivity, right? Uh, and on the wife's side, very often the reaction is clinginess, which I need to explain in a second, or uh, unreceptivity. Right now, all four of those reactions anger and passivity, clinginess and unreceptivity are aimed at shutting down the relationship in the moment, right? It helps me to get away from this person who's causing me pain. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm, that's why I'm resorting to those kind of defense mechanisms, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, anger is a great way to shut down a conversation or interaction because I'm either going to drive the person away or I'm going to have the energy to get away myself. Mm -hmm. And passivity is another way to do it. So men learn and rightly so that, you know, they can't just blurt out their anger, so they can turn that anger inside interiorly and just become very passive. So for example, there's a lot of married women who aren't experiencing, aren't thriving in marriage, aren't happy in the, where the relationship is at at the moment. And they may describe their husband and he might be the nicest guy in the world. And he's very, compl- very laid back, very compliant. Or, anything yeah, I ask him to do, father, he'll do for me. He'll do anything I ask for him and kind of looking like, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is he's not taking any initiative, you know? And so Mm -hmm. the unhappiness is because my husband never puts himself out there. He's just very passive, Mm -hmm. right? And so there can be a a passive aggressiveness, like where my passivity is just really like- Resentful. Yeah, resentful and, you know, smoldering and people know what that looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there can be another passivity that's not, you know, so affectively laden with the anger. It's just, I'm a very passive person. And uh, the man can be a very passive person. Compliant, but never taking the initiative, never initiating the gift of himself, like to plan for the date night or to remember the anniversary or to jump in and uh, back up his wife and disciplining the kids or helping with their education or whatever it might be. Right. Which is the opposite of his priority as. Yes. Interesting. So, you know, so both man and woman are made in God's image and likeness, but we are complementary to each other. Yep and not identical to each other. Mm -hmm. And so in that complementarity, for a man to be a man, uh, it's really important that he has uh, a freedom in his life to initiate the gift of himself in all sorts of different ways, right? And if he's really, uh, for whatever reason in his life, just come to a place of greater passivity, uh, he's not living up to uh, who God has made him to be as a man in God's image and likeness with this masculine genius, 
and uh, his wife will be missing that. Yeah. It's missing that. Yeah. And you said the woman can present clinginess or yeah. what was the other word that you uh, used? Unreceptivity. Unreceptivity. So. What does that mean? Yeah. Clinginess, what I mean is uh, in God's plan, uh, the wife is made to receive from her husband the free, total, faithful, life-giving gift of everything he is for her benefit. That's that's God's expectation, gift, right, man? Yeah, pure right. gift. And he and so like if if Jenny comes in and she's unhappy and you know they need some marriage counseling, usually the wife will come first, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, she'll describe why she's unhappy and it's this, 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 and this. All these things are happening, and then she'll say something like this. But Father, I think I could put up with all of that if He would just and then fill in the blank. Whatever that might be. If he would just, you know, once remember to put down the toilet seat, or if he just once pick up his dirty socks, or if he just once do the dishes without my asking him, or if he just once, you know, plan a date for us or whatever. And so her horizon of expectation has gone from, I expect in God's plan for our happiness that my husband will dedicate all the energies of his existence for my benefit to serve the goodness, truth, and beauty that's in me. That horizon has shrunk to, if he would just pick up his socks. That's what I mean by clean. It's like clinging on to this one, one thing if that would just happen. So it's Jenny and Tom. I can call Tom in and say, hey, Tom, Jenny came in and she's saying this, 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 and this are going on in your relationship. He's like, yeah, Father, that's right. We're not in a great spot right now. I said, well, Tom, I got good news. She said she could put up with all of that if you would just pick up your socks. And he looks at me. He's like, Father, if you believe that, I got a bridge to sell you in New York. Yeah. And Tom yeah. is right, yeah. right? Because he can do whatever the laundry list is that – Jenny's clinging to. And Jenny's still not going to be satisfied because what her heart is made for is this free, total, faithful, life-giving gift, this total dedication of all the energies of her husband for her benefit. That's what God made her heart to receive in her vocation of marriage. And uh, so he can do all the things and she's still not going to be satisfied and she's not going to know why. Mm-hmm. right? And But what Tom doesn't understand is that his passivity or his not doing that for whatever reasons is really the cause of her unhappiness. And again, so this is, that's what I mean by clinginess. And then the unreceptivity part is, you know, on the part of the wife is, you know, I think, you know, I'm not, she's not even going to leave room for Tom to step up as a man and as her husband anymore, because it's just too painful to be disappointed again and again. And so uh, the wife can get into a place where she's just like, you know what? I really wish he would do this, but I know he's not going to do that. So you know what? It's just easier if I just do it myself. I'll just take care of it myself. And that's what I mean by unreceptivity in this context. So all this that we're discussing is a a reflection on what St. Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's that famous passage uh, about... Uh, I got to flip to it. The Sorry. one that everybody gets really excited about, about what wives be submissive to your husbands. Is that what you're going for? That is the one. That is the one. And I want to tell you, Emily, I've done a lot of marriage prep in 20 years. And I find it like a great joy as I'm talking about these things with engaged couples, that a number of couples that I've prepared for marriage have chosen this reading for their wedding readings. Yeah. Because right? when it's rightly understood, it's so beautiful. So I hope if we have a few minutes to yeah, to please. like to, to get into it. Yeah. Um, because, right, so I used to, <laughs> so in marriage prep, uh, I'd ask uh, the bride-to-be uh, to read what St. Paul has to say at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 5. And this is what it says. It starts in verse 22. It says, wives should be submissive to their husbands as if to the Lord, because the husband is the head of his wife, just as Christ is head of his body, the church, as well as its Savior. As the, cert- as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, 
everything. And, I, and everything. In and everything. so then I'd say like, hey, Jenny, what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> and if Jenny, if we've gotten to that place of trust that I hope we get to in marriage prep, Jenny's like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and I'm like, right. Well, well, you know, what are you hearing when you hear that, Jenny? She's like, well, like what? I'm just supposed to do what he says because he's the man and I'm just the little lady. Like, yeah. and of course that like, that is Vomit. repulsive. Right. Yeah. And uh, I've actually stopped asking the question because I've gotten afraid that someday some engagement gonna... is like, yeah, that's just great. I've just always wanted someone to tell me <laughs> what to do with in everything in my life. It's like your worst no! fear. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. We need to do some serious work before we're ready. To right. Get married. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, um, so we try to break it down. So submissive, it means to be under the mission, right? And to be on a mission is to be sent with the authority of another to accomplish a specific task. So like in uh, politics, we have a, the ambassador is the chief of mission. You know, the ambassador has the authority of the president of the United States to carry out the foreign policy of the United States in the country to which they're the ambassador. So to have the mission is the authority of another to accomplish a specific task. So wives, be under the mission of your husband. Well, it begs the question, what's the mission what's of the, the husband? Mission? And that's in the next verse. St. Paul writes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved, loved the church. Like lay down your life for your wife, husbands. Mm-hmm. Okay. So ladies, let your husband lay down his life for you. That's what St. Paul is saying. If St. Paul is saying, hey, you're just a little lady, just do what he says because he's the man, you're just a little lady. Like we shouldn't listen to anything St. Paul has to say. <laughs> Okay. Take take him like, out of the Bible. <laughs> right. And the New Testament just got a lot shorter. Okay. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, wives, receive, like be under the mission of your husband. Let your husbands lay down their life for you. And if the wife, because she's been hurt and experienced the pain of imperfect love, has retreated to the place where she is clingy or unreceptive, she is not going to leave any space for the man to really lay down his life for her. So wives, let your husbands lay down their life for you, which of course sounds a lot different than just do what he says because he's the man. Yeah. And then husbands, get off the couch, put away the Xbox and love your wives. Lay down your life for your wife. So the question is, why does St. Paul, so that whole section actually starts in verse 21 where he says, husbands and wives, love one another out of reverence for Christ. Be submissive to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this submissiveness, like, Wives are called to lay down their lives for their husbands as well, right? But then he specifically reminds women, listen, let your husband die for you. Let him lay down his life for you day in and day out. And husbands, get to it. Lay down your life for your wife. And I think the reason of that just goes back to uh, the original blessing that God has given to the people he's created as man or woman. Uh, And the enemy Satan, who hates God, wants to steal, kill, and destroy that gift of God that's in the man and the woman. So Satan hates us, not because he hates us. He hates us because we're in God's image and likeness. Mm -hmm. And he can't hurt God. So maybe if he hurts us who God loves, you know, it's an indirect way of trying to get at God. Yeah. Yeah. And so what Satan especially hates in the human person is the way we are most especially in God's image and likeness. And so for women, that's in this feminine genius of the priority of receptivity. And if Satan can shut that down through hurt and pain and cause her to become, as I'm saying, clingy and unreceptive, then he wins. And if he can shut that down in men, like preventing them from laying down their lives for their wives in their passivity or their anger, or they're turning in on themselves, then he wins, right? So this is why this is a common attack uh, that the enemy has 
uh, to stir up those dynamics, those hurtful dynamics in marriage to disrupt the communion of love of the husband and wife. Yeah. And um, for sure, wives can be angry and passive. For sure, men or husbands can be uh, clingy and unreceptive. But there's a special uh, and common pitfall yeah. of uh, undermining the priority of donation in the masculine genius and the priority of receptivity in the feminine genius. Yeah. So that's what you're seeing. So I w- I w- what is Tom to do? Yeah. Right. right. So let's get practical for a yeah. second. What does that look like? Especially if, uh, cause I think, I think what I often see, uh, in couples that are struggling is that there's just patterns of negative behavior mm-hmm. and we don't know how to interrupt those in order to step out of it. So somebody might be listening and saying, you know, we're doing okay, but I see some of these negative patterns in mm-hmm. us where I'm kind of like as a woman moving forward and, and kind of laying out the mission rather than, mm-hmm. you know, so practically what's time to do. Right. So this is where, um, <laughs> it's a great question. So what the recourse that Tom and Jenny have is to really learn to trust on the perfect and always unfailing love that God has for each one of them. Right. Individually. Individually. So if Tom, when he feels hurt by his wife, right. In whatever way, if he know, and she's failed to love him with the love of Christ, mm-hmm. right? uh, if he knows how to turn to God with that hurt, to turn to God with the anger that might get stirred up there or the, um, the lies that get stirred up in his heart that, oh, I'm not lovable or um, I'm not uh, good enough or I ju- I'm just always messing things up or whatever it is, right? If he can learn how to turn to God and bring those thoughts and feelings to God and ask the love of God into those thoughts and feelings— that's where he's going to have the courage again to dare tomorrow to put himself out there in giving in loving his wife, uh, even though he knows that oh, she might ignore that or misconstrue that or overlook that yet again. Mm. So the more secure the husband or wife are in God's perfect love for them, a love which never fails, the freer they are to risk uh, putting themselves out there and being vulnerable yeah. in loving their spouse. And to dare tomorrow. You know, St. John Paul II, um, before he became Pope, he wrote a book called Love and Responsibility. It's an amazing book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a degree in philosophy. I, I read like a, a sentence in that book. I have to go think for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like it's really, really <laughs> dense. Dense. It's dense. Very dense. <laughs> and, um, you know, but like Ted Shree has written a book called Men, Women, and Mystery of Love that really yeah. takes the, the genius of that teaching and makes it a lot more accessible. Uh, a lot of what Christopher West teaches and the good news about sex and marriage and some other is writings yeah. on the theology of the body do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Amazing gifts that they have to do that. But uh, the whole, just the title of the book, Love and Responsibility, is a recognition that if, um, if I'm putting myself out there to love you as my spouse, in choosing to love another person, I make myself very vulnerable because I'm just, it's a free, total, faithful, life-giving gift of myself for your sake. And um, that just puts me in a very vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. And so what St. Paul, St. John Paul II is talking about is that the gift of love from another person has to be met with great responsibility. Like I have to take great care and realize that this person is putting themselves in a very vulnerable state as they're striving to love me, as they're choosing to love me. And that, uh, on my part, receiving that love calls for great responsibility. So... Um, to, again, renew day in and day out in the different circumstances of family life, self-gift and love 
That's only possible. The only way I'm going to overcome the fear of not being met with responsibility by my spouse or my children for that matter or whatever, uh, is, uh, I have to be secure in God's love for me. Yeah. So, you know, every day, every believer, every person should be asking that they can experience God's love in their love, in their heart more and more like a lived experience of God's love for them, that they can know and grow in that assurance, that total security that God's love for them is without bound, is unconditional, and is personal. Yeah. Well, I I have to take a few minutes just to name, I think some of the wounds that you're talking about don't just happen in marriage. They actually happen before Harry ever met Sally. That's right. Can you you talk a little bit about that and what's the role of self-awareness for people that where is this coming from? Why do I naturally, you know, he's maybe not doing anything that's triggering this in me. And yet I have this response, Mm -hmm. which is perhaps pointing to an underlying wound. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah. I mean, there's a lot to say about that. It's it's certainly true. Um, You know, I'm a canon lawyer, so I've worked on the marriage tribunal and in marriage tribunal work, I see kind of the um, long form personal testimonies of how this relationship began and developed, led to the wedding, and then how uh, it fell apart after the wedding. Oh, it derailed. And like no one gets married to get divorced, right. you know? And so there's always a lot of suffering involved in that, even in quote unquote amicable divorces. Um, but what I see after reading, you know, a number of those cases and testimonies is that there are certain patterns that are familiar, right? So um, when people carry woundedness in their life because of uh, the imperfect love they receive from uh, their parents, or maybe a parent or both parents were absent, or uh, other like dating relationships they've had where they've been really hurt. And into those woundedness comes like lies that they believe about themselves, that they don't see themselves as a beloved child of God, but they see themselves as uh, messed up or a cause of pain in the world or unlovable or, you know, whatever it is, yeah. a million different a million lies options, yeah. that we believe about ourselves. If those things, be, if they remain at the level of unawareness, right? people will experience in marriage. Like they found their true love for life. They want to live happily ever after they get married. And then all of a sudden, like something starts happening and they have a personal response that's way out of proportion to the thing that actually just happened. Mm -hmm. And that's like a landmine that's been in their heart for a number of years that someone, you know, it could could have been a facial expression. It could have been a tone of voice. It could have just been, you know, some other environmental factor where, you know, the thing that triggered them. A memory. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's just this uh, real intense emotional response that's out of proportion to what was happening. And it's usually kind of scary to the person. They're like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. And um, anyways, so like I said, a lot to say about that. But it's it's important. Um, I th- this is a great way I encourage people to pray all the time. God, if there's anything in my life, any hurt that I have in my life, any pain that I'm just holding on to in my life, if there are any lies that I believe about myself, in your love for me, will you bring those to light? Right? right? Is there anything like, is there anything in my life that you want to touch with your healing love for me today, Jesus? And I will pray that way. I pray that way in my life, like a couple times a week. It's just part of my like uh, spiritual hygiene, you know? Yeah. And it's not, if I'm taking a half hour prayer, it's not like I'm going to spend the half hour just like, okay, we're going to find something to heal here. Let's go dig it. Yeah, go dig, dig it, it out. Nope, yeah. not at all. Let it present itself. At, let Jesus reveal it. Let That's Jesus the key. It, yeah. So Jesus, is there anything in my heart or from any point in my history of my life that you want to touch with your healing love? And then I'll just wait. Mm-hmm. And if something doesn't come up in, in five minutes or so, that's fine. Then I just go and talk to Jesus in my prayer about whatever else I wanted to pray about. Yeah. Uh, I remember um, 
a couple years ago praying like that. And Jesus reminded me of this moment in third grade. And at St. Joe's in West St. Paul, we used to play boot hockey out in the playground. So do you know what boot hockey no. is? It's you had a tennis ball and you have uh, like snowballs for the for the goal posts, right? Okay. And then you all boots and you're kicking the, okay. the ball. Okay, I'm with so, you. Right? Boot so hockey, like, got yeah, it. It's soccer with the tennis ball. <laughs> okay. okay, I'm with you. And uh, you know, so every day in third grade, we would just pick up sides, and uh, the last person who wasn't picked would just go with the other team. That's just how it went. I happened to be good at boot hockey in third grade, so I always got picked. But one day I didn't. Mm. And uh, so I was the last person. So I just started going with the other team. And then this one kid in my class started saying really mean things to me mm-hmm. and got everyone else to turn on me and I couldn't play. Mm. So I didn't know what to do. So I went over in the parking lot and I went up on the, like the snow mound where the mm-hmm. plow had piled up all the snow. And I was like, okay, I'll just be here. And I sat there and I just watched my classmates play. Now the next day, everything was back to normal and yeah. nothing ever happened, came of it again. I know as an adult that that was until luck- 30 years later when Jesus revealed it. That's right. But I know mm. as an adult looking back on that, that, uh, you know, that's not the way that breaks for a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. So I actually have a lot of gratitude when I have thought about that, um, which I hadn't done much in, since I was in third grade. Yeah. But just like, wow, that could have been like the rest of my life until eighth grade. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. It was just a day. Mm-hmm. And so one day I was praying in my priesthood was several years ago. Is there anything you want to touch? And I just remembered that moment. I hadn't thought about that in forever. And so if a memory like that comes up, what you want to do is, number one, let yourself remember, which if it's a more traumatic experience than not getting picked for boot hockey can sure. be challenging. It's fearful. Sure. Tell God all about it as if God would know nothing about it unless you told him. Of course, he knows it through and through, but that opens our heart to receive from God. So I'm going to tell God about it. Like what happened? And then how did I feel about it? And what was I thinking about that? Which might be some contradictory thoughts and feelings. Like mm. I was, not only was it like, oh, that was really confusing to me as a third grader, but looking back at it as an adult, I'm really grateful that that didn't find oh, grade school. Yep. So kind of, con- you know, contradictory, contra- yeah, messy, yeah. contradictory kind of things. Mm-hmm. Just be honest with God. Tell him all about it. Uh, it's important to forgive if there's anything that needs forgiving there, like the one classmate who was really mean to me and yeah. said those mean things. So yeah. Jesus in your holy name, I forgive this guy for the things that he said that I happen to remember. Okay. And then this is the key is asking God to reveal his presence with you and his love for you in that moment that you were remembering. In the memory. Yeah. So like Jesus helped me like reveal to me as a third grader, where were you with me? Like, how were you with me? Mm -hmm. And how were you loving me? Now I've prayed this way myself and with people um, many times. So uh, I have a little expectation of, I think I know how this is going to go. And I sort of expect Jesus to come to me and explain to me that, well, this guy came from a rough family and he was having a bad day and it wasn't really about you. And, you know, like, like an adult might try to explain to a child, right? And so in my imagination, I'm just picturing the whole thing. And sure enough, at a certain point in my imagination, I see Jesus like walking up and sitting next to me on the snow mound. And in my prayer, uh, Jesus is like making goofy faces at me, like clown Muppet faces, like, ah. <laughs> And I just thought, okay, my, my imagination is just off track here. This is getting weird. Yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of start over and picture the memory. He and, did it again. Yeah. And Jesus showed me how you're with me and loving me. And here he comes. He's, he's making the Muppet. And then I like, I'm slowly getting angrier and angrier at Jesus. Like why the Muppet faces? Okay. And finally I just found myself like, Jesus, you know, I'm really glad that this wasn't like horrible for the rest of grade school, but that was really awful. Like that day, that was a terrible day. And in a way that as an adult, I never would have thought because it was like, you know, in life, that was just like a little scratch. It was a little, nothing. Yeah. But as a third grader on that day, it was a big deal. It was actually a big deal. 
And Jesus knew that. And so as soon as I, that like came out, no more Muppet faces from Jesus. And what I heard Jesus say in my heart was, Scott, uh, I was just so glad to have you all to myself during that recess. I just wanted to be there and spend that time alone with you. And even as I'm saying that right now, I mean, just the tears were like. He's the best. Jesus is the best. He is the best. So um, it's a simple but powerful way of praying if God brings to light, hey, here's a moment in your life that needs to be touched with my healing love. And I want to let Jesus take the lead, but let myself remember, tell God all about it, the thoughts and feelings, like what happened and the thoughts and feelings that happened. Um, Offering in his name forgiveness for anyone who needs to be forgiven. And then asking God, would you reveal your presence with me and your love for me? And that doesn't always happen in the time that I'm praying, but you always know when it happens Mm, because there's such a lifting of a burden that you've been carrying around for however long you've been carrying it around. It's really unmistakable. It's a beautiful way to allow God to bring about any healing that you need from any point in your life, which can really help. Like for example, in the middle of marriage, um, uh, not to have something that happens have a much bigger impact and reaction than uh, out of proportion to what's really happening. So doing the individual work actually allows you to more freely give yourself as pure right. gift, right? As and total gift. Because it's a way of being more secured in the reality of God's love for you. You know, we have that great assurance that uh, in Romans eight, chapter eight, that in all these things and all these sufferings, we conquer overwhelmingly through him who loved us. Mm-hmm. So yes, even though I might be overlooked or ignored or hurt by my spouse, the love of God conquers overwhelmingly in that. And that sets me free to, uh, pursue my real happiness in choosing to love again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Father, this was this was awesome. I'm going to go back and listen to this episode and receive so much from it. Uh, before we end, I want to ask you if there is a question that you have been pondering. So I always say that this is a place with more questions than answers and want it to be an invitation for our listeners and our guests and myself uh, to learn more about ourselves, about God, about the world that we live in through asking questions. The only rule is that you cannot answer it unless it's a really good question. And I think you have an answer, which sometimes I break my rule and make you answer. <laughs> but generally, that's the rule. So is there a question that you have been pondering? So it's it's a question for me, right, that, I, that I'm wondering for God. And the question is, like, God, in every person that you bring into my life today— Uh, how can my heart be a real meeting place for that person with your love? Like how, what can I do and say, or how can I be, that's really a better way to say it. How can I be that uh, people really experience you and your presence and your love um, in my heart when I'm just doing my daily business with them? Mm, That's a question that resonates with me too. Father, thank you so much for for taking time to join me. Uh, friends, you're going to be able to hear a lot more, I think, from Father Scott Trainer because his office just so happens to be right next to mine. So I might have to twist his arm and uh, have him come back and join us. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to follow us on Facebook and on Instagram at SF Diocese or my personal Instagram is uh, Emily M. Leadham. Would love to just join the journey with you and wherever you find yourself. Share this episode with your spouse and may you continue to grow in total self gifts. See you next time.